0: This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. Our hour of old-time radio crime begins with Richard Diamond, private detective, with his episode from February 9th, 1951, titled The Blue Surge Suit. After that, it's Broadway is my beat in the John Dobson murder case. That episode aired January 5th, 1952.
1: Makers of Camel Cigarettes present Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. <laughs> One single case of throat irritation due to smoking camels. That's what noted throat specialists reported in a coast-to-coast test of hundreds of people who smoked only camels for 30 days.
0: Make your own 30-day camel mildness test, the sensible, thorough cigarette test, and see why more people smoke camels than any other cigarette.
1: Here transcribed is Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell.
2: Diamond Detective Agency, put up or shut up? Hi. Oh, hi, Helen. You
3: busy?
2: Oh, like a hibernating bear. No business? I've seen more action in a bankrupt turtle farm. (laughs)
3: Oh, things can't be
2: that bad. I'm even getting an echo in here. Rick. Really, listen. Hello? Hello? See?
3: Rick, was that really
2: an echo? Oh, wait a minute. Hey, my girl wants to know if you're really an echo.
4: I beg your pardon.
2: Oh, uh, honey, I'll call you back. This echo has a man with it. Bye. Bye. Can I
4: help you, sir? I am looking for Mr. Richard Diamond. Why? Now, that's an extremely unique question. I want to sell him ten tons of pig iron. Well, I'm very sorry, but I made a New Year's resolution that I wouldn't build another battleship until I paid up my bill at the automat. (laughs) My name is Barr, David Barr. Now, if you'll stop talking like a television comedian, I would like to discuss a business arrangement. Well, my name is Diamond, Richard Diamond. And
2: if you're rolling in money, I'd be very happy to discuss any arrangement you could dream up. How much do you charge, Mr. Diamond? Well, that depends. Anything short of a felony, a hundred a day in expenses. How earthy. Well, it keeps my ribs from showing. Have you ever heard of me, Mr. Diamond? Well, I have a feeling this may lose me a quick sale, but very frankly, Mr. Barr...
4: No matter, I can see by your clothes that your wardrobe must be fashioned exclusively by popular mechanics. No. Well, okay, we've kicked it around.
2: It's been fun, but I'm beginning to get
4: winded. What do you want to see me for, Mr. Barr? I uh, want you to guard my store. Store? Yes, I have the most fashionable men's haberdashery and tailoring business on Madison Avenue. And you want it guarded? Perhaps I should give you some background concerning the disgusting incidents that led me to your, uh... uh... Office. (laughs) For the lack of a more sordid description, yes, office. Mm, I'm sure the whole background must be very disgusting. Two nights ago, my shop was vandalized. Mm, Somebody broke in and swiped something. Yes, yes. To be exact, one blue serge suit. One suit? One, one. I reported the incident to the police, and they summed it up with the same brilliant observation as you. To quote the sergeant... Somebody broke in and swiped something. Now, uh, uh, look, Mr. Barr, don't tell me you want me to find that blue suit. No, this was not the end of the trouble, Mr. Diamond. Somebody lifted a hand-painted tie, maybe? Uh, Naturally, my employees were questioned, and the following day, the police returned to their little precinct, satisfied that somebody had merely... Busted in and swiped something. Yes, yes, yes. Well, the following night, my shop was again the object of vicious vandalizing. This time, the party, or parties responsible, took every foot of Blue Surge material in the shop. Oh, now, wait a minute.
2: First somebody breaks in and takes one Blue Surge suit. The next night, all the Blue Surge material in the store is stolen. What's the matter? Did you run out of suits?
4: All my suits are custom-tailored, Mr. Diamond. My stock of Finnish merchandise is generally sparse. We complete only two or three suits a day. The missing Blue Surge was hanging with two other suits... The the property, of course, of one of my best customers. And the thief didn't touch the other two suits? No, no. And on the following night, the night of the second burglary, a gray flannel was left untouched. Mm. The suit and the cloth stolen were both blue serge? Uh, Correct. Naturally, I had to order another stock of the same material. It's in the shop now, and I should not be able to sleep a wink unless I was certain that it was safe. And you want me to sit up with the blue serge? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I am considerably interested in finding the motive behind these unusual robberies. Oh, well, this is certainly a first in my life. I've sat up with a lot of things, but
2: never 15 yards of blue serge. The illustrious Mr. Barr handed me a $100 retainer, ran a white glove over the top of my desk like an inspecting general, made an observation on the pursuit of happiness, and went out of my office faster than a bad molar at a dentist's convention. We had agreed to meet at his shop at 6 o'clock that evening. So I pasted the $100 bill to my instep, put the instep up on the desk, crossed the other instep over it, leaned back and dozed off, securing the knowledge that money would never go to my head. <coughs> yeah?
4: Mr. Diamond, this is Mr. Barr. Oh,
2: yeah. Well, it isn't, isn't six, is it? It's
4: 435. Mr. Diamond, am I correct in assuming that the moment you grabbed that $100, you became a member of my employee?
2: Well, you're correct. 100 bucks worth.
4: Then please come immediately to number six, Park Avenue. Something's happened, and I feel a complete breakdown coming on. <laughs> Oh, come in, come in. Oh, what's happened? Oh, if this keeps up, I may be living on dream pills. I've been eating them like peanuts. Well, maybe if you gave me a hint... I I have been robbed. Well, didn't we go through this thing in my... Here, here, I've been robbed here in my apartment. What? I came home, took a bath, went in to get dressed, opened my wardrobe, and to my complete horror, found three. My only three blue serge suits were missing. Oh, no. A potent reaction, oh, no. Now, why didn't I think of that? I can't imagine. It's certainly simple enough. We'll spend a whole day insulting each other after you solve this mystery. So for now, strain yourself and try looking like a detective with a $100 retainer in his pocket. Well, it's not in my pocket.
2: But if we go into that, I'll leave myself wide open. Show me your wardrobe. Mr. Barr's apartment was as overdone as he was. I stepped down into the living room and found myself wading through a carpet that called for a dog sled to negotiate it. The smell of incense made me keep looking back over my shoulder for the dancing girls. He led the way into a bedroom that George Washington wouldn't have slept in without an armed guard, and opened his wardrobe. Two dozen $300 suits stretched from one end of the closet to the other, and there was enough material in that wardrobe to drive a frustrated moth into a complete fit. They were hanging. Hanging right here in this space.
4: Are you sure they couldn't be at the cleaners? They were here this morning. Oh, what's that on the bed? That's a blue serge suit. Mr. Diamond, that is the suit I was wearing when I came into your office.
2: No, oh, well, I was so busy looking at your money. Well, I...
4: well, what is to be done? Well, i got to admit it's sure a strange one. You are constantly coming up with the most astute observations. Oh? Wait till I get around to your personality. <laughs> You'd really be a likable fellow, Diamond, if I could bring myself to look at you. Oh, I'm not so bad. Think of what you must go through shaving every morning. Oh, really, Diamond? What do you think is behind this ridiculous situation? Now, very honestly, I don't know. Except the obvious. Somebody wants your blue serge suits and all the blue serge material you've got. That blue serge on the bed is the last one I've got. Do you think this could be some kind of a practical joke? Not very. It could get somebody ten years. Well, have you got any ideas at
2: all? Yes, I have. Take that last blue serge and hide it. I'll sit in your store tonight and
4: see that the new material you ordered doesn't get lifted. You take the suit, Mr. Diamond. You're being paid to protect it. Okay. And remember, it's new. Brand new. It would cost you $300 to duplicate it. So for the sake of your home and kiddies, don't stuff your big shoulders into it.
2: He gave me the key to his store and told me how to shut off the burglar alarm. He gave me the phone number where I could reach him that evening in case something happened, draped the blue suit over my arm, and hurried me out of the room like he was getting rid of a plague victim. I grabbed a cab, and ten minutes later, I was unlocking the door to my apartment. I started to toss Mr. Barr's suit on the bed, but thought better of it, so I went to the closet, opened the door, and reached for a hanger. Now, unlike Mr. Barr's wardrobe, I generally sport a variety of items. A couple of sport coats, a few old letterman sweaters to fill up the space, four pair of slacks, and usually, mind you, I say usually, two suits. One of which I was wearing at the moment. The other was a blue serge. Was was right, because where my blue serge suit once was, it wasn't. That did it. First, Barr loses everything in sight that happens to be blue serge. Then I come home and find that one of the two suits I had to my name had been swiped. I burned. Barr could get dozens of suits and use them for bath mats when he got tired of wearing them. Me? I was going to have to sew sleeves on the bath mats. I called Barr at home, but he'd left. I thought about calling with the number he had given me, but decided against it. I sat down to try and figure it out. But a half a dozen camels later, I was still facing a big, fat zero. One thing was sure. I had Mr. Barr's last blue serge suit, and nobody was going to get it away from me. Big shoulders or not, I put it on and headed for Barr's shop on Madison Avenue. I never made it. Hold it. Hey, hey what is you there? you hide him. Well, I'm only considering it because he's got a gun in my back. Walked under that sedan by the curb. Oh, I get, uh, get car sick. you hide him. Oh, fellas, I haven't been well. Doctor recommends lots of walking. Told me to stay away from cars. No. Oh, now, look. You heard him. Yeah, I heard him. Would I be nosy if I
5: asked... Yeah, you would be very nosy.
2: How about you, friend? You heard him.
5: Get in the back.
2: Look, can I interest you boys in the deal, my secret decoder and my ray gun, if you'll (laughs) only... They were both big boys, and they both had big guns. One of them slugged me with one of the big guns, and my head swelled up to match the whole ugly situation. I went down and out faster than a left fielder trying to steal home with a Charlie horse, and they rolled me into the car. We drove for a long time, me lying on the floor of the back seat, trying to bring myself back to a conscious way of thinking. Finally, I snapped out of it. They let me sit up and take a look around. We were on a lonely stretch of road, and although the car was green, not black, and didn't look anything like a hearse, I had a gloomy feeling that we were heading for a funeral. Get out. Now look. You'll hide him. Okay, okay. Look, fellas, the least you can do is tell me. Get
5: out of that suit.
2: Get out of the suit. You're him.
6: Take it off. I'll take it off quick.
2: Well, I... Well, uh... Okay. Would you, would you mind turning your
5: backs? You want to get belted again? No, no, no. I'll, I'll take it off. Take the coat, Hunts.
2: Yeah, Hunts. Here.
5: Now the pants. Come on, come on.
2: Oh, all right, all right. But it's cold. I'm getting goosebumps.
5: And him the pants.
2: I <clears throat> are, Hunts. Oh, so you're the guys who have been after the blue serge suits.
5: Walk them off the road, Hans.
2: Yeah, what if a car came by? Me and my hand painted shorts.
5: Get him off far enough so they won't find him right away. Hmm? Move! Oh, now look.
2: You'll hide him. Yeah, I sure did. <laughs>
0: Before we continue with Richard Diamond, private detective, here's an important question. How mild can a cigarette be? There's one sensible way to find out. It's not just a sniff, not just a puff, but steady smoking. For only then can you find out how well a cigarette agrees with your throat day in and day out. In a
1: coast-to-coast test, hundreds of people smoked only camels for 30 days. Each week, their throats were examined by noted throat specialists who reported... Not one single case of throat irritation due to smoking camels.
0: Make your own 30-day camel test. Enjoy the rich, full flavor of camels' costly tobaccos for 30 days and find out just how mild a cigarette can be, how mild camels are, pack after pack, week after week. It's the sensible, thorough test, a test that will pay off in years of smoking enjoyment. You'll discover why so many people say, once a camel smoker... Always a Camel Smoker.
7: How mild, how mild, how mild, how mild, how mild mild can a cigarette be? Make the camel 30-day test and you'll see. Smoke camels and see.
1: And now back to Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell.
7: (laughs)
2: I kept walking with Hunts right behind me, his big gun pointed to the middle of my back. I could stand losing my clothes, but I'd grown to enjoy my life. So I decided I'd have to get that gun away from Hunts somehow. We were 50 yards from the road when I tried it.
7: Give me that gun!
8: Come on, give it to me!
2: I guess you didn't hear what I said. Hunts had tried his best to put a hole in me... but like most guys who think they've got a sure thing... he forgot a small item called luck. In this case, all of it on my side. I left him lying on his face in the moonlight... and headed back for the car. But the other gunsil evidently saw my white shorts... bounding over the landscape... and decided it was time to leave. I tried a shot at him... and then went back to find Hunts... and borrow a pair of pants... Sometimes, when things happen that fast, a guy gets careless. Now, I'd figured Hunt's being wounded would be in the same spot I left him. But when I got back to the spot, the one sentence killer was nowhere in sight. Somewhere in the distance, I heard a branch snap, so I knew that Hunt's was on his way back home. I was getting too cold in my undies to start chasing him, so I went back to the road and walked until I spotted a house. Any other time, I would have considered carefully before walking up to a front door attired only in my underwear. Thank goodness they weren't blue surge. I figured I could say I was a cross-country runner with a bad sense of direction. I rang the doorbell and waited. Yes? Could I use your phone? Ah!
5: Oh, shut up, Walt. Boy, did you look silly when they dragged you in here.
2: (laughs) Oh, I don't know, I don't know. Otis thought it was a burlesque raid and asked me for a date. Would you mind telling me what you were doing running around like that? Well, that woman's husband was chasing me. What did you think I was doing? Well, you can't blame the old man for chasing you. You scared his wife right out of her wake. Mm. Now, why don't you tell me what this is all about? Because I don't know. Well, how'd you lose your clothes? Let me make a phone call and I'll tell you all about it. I put in a call to David Barr and asked him to meet me at the store. Then I briefed Walt on everything up to date. Walt said... Are you nuts? And I left before I had to lie. I went back to my apartment, climbed back into the only suit I had left, and 20 minutes later, I was standing in David Barr's shop on Madison Avenue. I explained the events of the last couple of hours, and Mr. Barr said
4: disgusting. Ah, you bet. I I just can't understand it. Well, move over. Don't you have any theories at all? Well, vague ones. That blue suit that you gave me, tell me about it. The material was originally ordered for a customer who failed to show up, so I had it made up for me. Where did you get your cloth? Black and Winterfield. Although I'm certain you've never enjoyed the benefit of their merchandise, you must have heard of them. What customer was the material ordered for originally? Oh, not one of my steady customers. Uh, he left a deposit. Well, what was his name? Kingsley. Leonard Kingsley. A small man with a preposterous stomach. I had to order four yards. Oh. Well, that's Mr. Kingsley. He's never called or gotten in touch with you? No, no, no. So needing another blue suit, I use the material for myself. If he comes in, I can always order more material. Didn't you take his measurements? Uh, he was in a hurry. He picked out the surge from the book, gave me a deposit, and told me he'd be back that afternoon for the measurements, that was over a month ago. What are you driving at, Diamond?
2: That I know? I'm just fishing. The whole thing has got something to do with blue serge material in
4: that blue suit. You're getting disgustingly repetitious. I suppose you're going to tell me this Kingsley sent two hired killers to steal my goods because he thought it was easier than coming in for a fitting. I know. Where's your phone? On the desk. It's the only thing in the whole shop that looks anything like a phone. Honestly.
2: I got more of a description of Leonard Kingsley and put in a call to Walt at the precinct. I gave him the information, asked him to run a check. Then I said goodnight to Mr. Barr and settled back in a chair to guard the store. I'd been sleeping about an hour when Walt called back. What do you know about this Leonard
7: Kingsley, Diamond?
2: Oh, there's a brilliant question. Why do you think I called you up? I don't know anything. I want to find out.
5: Well, where did you hear
7: about
2: him? From my client.
5: That Barr guy you told me about?
2: That's right. This Leonard Kingsley came into his store, ordered a suit, never came back. That was because he couldn't. Come back? Yeah. About a month ago, this Leonard Kingsley
5: was killed in a car accident. Stepped off the curb and a car hit him.
2: You sure it was an accident?
5: Yep. woman hit him. There was an inquest.
0: Witnesses say it was all Kingsley's fault.
2: All right, all right. What's the rest? Rest? Oh, stop with the little red riding hood. Something's up.
5: Well, this is confidential, Rick.
2: Well, it'll stay that way. The FBI have got a share in this thing. What? It seems that when a check was run to find Kingsley's
5: home and relatives, all of the credentials he had on him turned out to be phonies, particularly his passport.
2: What did the feds find out?
5: Kingsley was from one of the Iron Curtain countries. Espionage. (laughs) Espionage.
4: All right, all right. Well, Paul Revere with a shoulder holster.
2: I want some answers, Mr. Barr. How many customers can you remember who came into your shop and ordered only one suit in the last year?
4: Mm, half a dozen.
2: How many never came back after they got the one
4: suit? Well, what's the matter? That's peculiar. Everyone I can remember, and they're comparatively easy because most of my customers are steady. Go on, go on. What about these single customers? Every one of them ordered a
2: blue surge. And you got all the material from Black and Winterfield? Yes. The whole thing was beginning to make sense. What better way of getting information out of the country than in the material of a suit? I dragged Barr down to the store again, got the names of all his single customers who had ordered blue surge suits. Then I went over to the 5th precinct and had Walt make a check on them. Two hours later, the U.S. Customs Department sent in an interesting teletype.
5: Rick, every one of those guys have left the country and hasn't
2: returned. And eight to five, the FBI can find out plenty. Now, give them the information. Let's go over to Black and Winterfield. I want to take a look at that store. See if I can find out how anyone can hide any kind of information in three and a half yards of Blue Surge. (laughs)
7: it is. Dark.
2: Yep, come on. What do you think you're going to do? Well, we're going in that store and take a look around. You can't do that. And without a warrant. All right, fatty, just so you won't disgrace that lovely badge, I'll go in first and you can come in and arrest me for breaking and entering.
5: Now, Rick, you wait a minute.
2: Walt, they know I got away. We can't wait. I... Hey. What's the matter? What are you looking at? That car in the alley. What about it? Looks like the one those two killers took me for a ride in. Come on. Well? Looks like it. Wait a minute, I took a shot at it, and maybe I can
5: Wait, I'll light a match.
2: Uh huh. Yes, sir, here it is. Nice little bullet hole. Well, I'll be I think one of my little head hunters is in that building. Still want to get a warrant? Let's go. How are we going to get in? Oh, you'll figure something out. You're really a second-story man at heart. Rick, wait a minute. What is it? Look at this. Isn't that blood? Hmm. Oh, looks like both of them are here. Leads right in the door. Locked. Let's go around back. We ducked around back and spent the next ten minutes jimmying the window and Walt couldn't have been more professional... if he'd done time in Sing Sing. He jammed it without a sound... and knew just how to disconnect the alarm. We squeezed through and dropped to the floor. <clears throat> we were in a basement... and from somewhere in another part of the building... we could hear a radio playing softly. We went up the steps to the first floor... and stopped to listen. The radio was to our left... down a long corridor... We stayed against the wall and edged our way toward a door at the end of the hall. A thin strip of light showed at the crack, and we moved up and listened, holding our breath.
9: How are you feeling, Hans? Well, try and take it easy. And The boss is coming with the doc.
2: They're both in there. Let's take them. Hold it.
9: Music making you feel better?
4: No. No, Gabe. Well, you want something better, maybe? Artie Shaw pick you up, maybe? No. Turn it off. Okay. Uh, Don't you worry. I'll get that shamus for shooting you. And the boss will be real happy when he sees we got the suit.
2: Okay, let's take him, Walt.
7: Look out behind you, (laughs) Rick.
2: It all happened so fast there wasn't any time to think. Suddenly, there were two men standing behind us in the hall. By the time the smoke cleared, both of them were down, and Walt and I were shaking like a hula dancer with a hot foot. Then before we could catch our breath, Gabe came running out. I'll get him, Rick! No, no, I'll get him. You go in and take care of the wounded, but Walt went in after Hunts, and I took off after the other. I caught him just as he dove through the front door.
7: Hold it! Okay, okay. I'm bleeding! I'm bleeding!
5: All right, all right, let's have it.
7: I'm bleeding. Get a doctor.
5: The ambulance is on the
2: way. Now, tell us about it. What do you want to know? We want to know about the suits and about the material and who the guys are in the hall.
4: One of them's a doctor for Huntsia. The other one's the boss. He runs the store.
2: You were getting information out of the country and the Blue Surge material. Yeah. What kind
4: of information? All kinds. Defense plans, radar locations, that kind of stuff. Done all in code numbers. How did they do it? Stuff was invisible-like. Just drew it on the blue surge. When the guy got out of the country, he'd take the suit and dip it in something. Then the right and come out.
2: And when Kingsley got hit by the car, you found out he didn't have the suit?
4: The boss did. How about it, Hunts? How do you feel? Oh.
2: <laughs> oh, why did you swipe my
4: suit? We was tailing bar. so I'm going to your office. Figured maybe he'd give you the suit. Well,
2: there it is, Rick. How about it, Hunts? Your partner telling the truth?
6: (laughs) You heard him.
0: Dick Powell will return in just a minute. What cigarette do you smoke, doctor? Again, a study has been made. Again, this question was asked of doctors all over the country and in every branch of medicine. The brand named most was Camel. Yes, again and again, surveys show that more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Friends smoke camels for 30 days and you'll see how mild, how flavorful, how thoroughly enjoyable a cigarette can be. And say, how about giving
1: a carton of camels for Valentine's Day makes a swell gift.
9: How mild,
7: how mild, mild, how mild, how mild mild can a cigarette be? Make the camel's 30-day test, and you'll see. Smoke,
2: camel, and see. Here's Dick Powell with a special message. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, each week for many years, the makers of camels have been sending gift cigarettes to hospitalized servicemen and veterans in this country. Now, gift camels are also being sent to hospitals overseas. This week's shipping list includes U.S. Naval Hospital Yokosuka, Japan. Camels are also on their way to Veterans Hospital, Coatesville, Pennsylvania, and Fort Howard, Maryland. U.S. Air Force Hospital, Lackland Air Force Base, San Antonio, Texas. Now, until next week, enjoy camels. I always do.
7: (laughs)
1: Dick Powell can soon be seen in his new RKO picture, Cry Danger. Tonight's adventure of Richard Diamond was written by Blake Edwards with music by Frank Worth. Our director is Helen Mack. Featured in the cast were Virginia Gregg, Wilms Herbert, and Arthur Q. Bryan. P.A. stands for two things, Pipe Appeal and Prince Albert. They go hand in hand, for Prince Albert's choice tobacco has a rich flavor and a delightful natural aroma. PA is crimped cut for smooth, even burning, and it's specially treated to ensure against tongue bite. Get Prince Albert, the National Joy Smoke, America's largest-selling smoking tobacco. Listen next week for another exciting transcribed adventure of Richard Diamond, starring Dick Powell. This is your FBI. The official broadcast from the files of the FBI follows immediately. Stay tuned. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is the American Broadcasting Company.
10: Broadway's my beat, from Times Square to Columbus Circle, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile
8: in the world. Broadway's My Beat with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover.
10: In the first week of the new year, Broadway is beside itself with promises. The new leaves have been turned over, the resolutions made, the wife has been kissed in the morning. It's the time of only one martini before dinner. The high-protein diet. And let the blonde stroll by without lifting your hat. Also, it's the week of the clearance sales. Good, slightly handled, and non-returnable, but at a bargain. So buy something. Live it up. It's 1952, the year the boat will come in. It's got to be the year. In the corridor where I was, the new year was a thing that came and went. Paced off by the quiet steps of nurses. A corridor of routine and pain. Emergency
11: hospital. Danny?
10: You got here fast, Danny. What's the trouble, Dr. Sinsky? Come on.
11: report that came with the man said his name was John Dobson. Can he talk? No. How bad is he? Well, I'm doing everything I can in here. One thing, he's not in any pain. Uh, there's a report over on the table with his effects.
10: Huh. Uh, John Dobson, Park Avenue address. Found in comatose condition in a parked car in East River Drive. Motor still running, 8.20 p.m.
11: Forty minutes ago, Danny.
10: What's the matter with him, Doctor? Poison. Uh-huh. Uh Carrying a lot of money. Over $300 in his wallet.
11: I've got saliva samples down in the lab, Danny. Until then, I have to treat symptoms.
10: Can't tell what kind of
11: poison. It may be self-administered.
10: I doubt it. You ever hear of anybody drinking poison and going for a car ride? I'd say the man was driving when the poison hit him, pulled over to the side, but That's and then... your business. Pardon me,
11: Danny. I've got mine to do.
10: And the shadows gather, wait on the edge of the circle of light that is a yellowing barrier against them. Holding from them the man locking from them his life. The shadows wait for a night's decision to be made. The beggars of darkness eager for the handout of death. And working quietly within the fortress of light, Dr. Sinsky, aware of the hunger of shadows, moving quickly against them to deny them a man's dying. Watch it, then leave them alone with it. Go now to the Park Avenue address of John Dobson. Be told that his wife is at home. Ascend to the 30th floor apartment.
3: How clear does it have to be before it penetrates? There's no one home.
4: The woman's
10: anger tears at her heavily creamed face, intensifies the smallness of her eyes. The only color, the pale, thin lips like an old scar. Get
3: out before I have you thrown out.
10: I'm from the police, Mrs. Dobson. I don't care who
3: you are. You've no right to come here, to wake me, to make me show myself this
10: way. Your husband's in the police emergency hospital. He's been poisoned.
3: Come in. You could have phoned, you know.
10: That's true, we could have.
3: And you wouldn't have seen me like this. In the way you're privileged... Few men have ever seen me in this... Even John, he has his own bedroom.
10: Maybe I didn't register, Mrs. Dobson. I said your husband has been poisoned. He's in the police emergency hospital. Of
3: course I'll go to him, if that's what you're implying. If you'd only phoned, I could have worn a proper... Well, now i just have to throw on the first thing that... How bad is it? He's dying. The blow that crushes you, save for a finish right between the eyes. Is that how it's done?
10: It crushes you?
3: I love him. That answer your foolish question?
10: He was found in a parked car, alone. You know where he was before that, Mrs. Dobson?
3: With me. We had a candlelight dinner here in the apartment. Over a dessert, he kissed me full on the lips. Said he had to go out for the evening. It was hours ago. Did
10: he tell you where he was going?
3: He whispered it against my ear. To his old friend, Floyd Gilmore. John and he exchanged old school ties for Christmas.
10: Where do I find him?
3: Floyd? He has a devastating little flat in Gramercy Park done in bachelor's souvenirs. The longer you keep me, you know, the longer it'll take me to get to John's side. I'll drive you down, Miss Duff. I want to be lovely for him. That'll take a while. So you won't bother waiting, will you? Of course you won't. <laughs>
12: What, kept?
10: Oh, yes, what is it? Your name Floyd Gilmore? Well, yes, what's... I'm Danny Clover, police. Uh, you mind if I come in? Well, what for? It's about John Dobson, I understand. What about you... John? Something's happened to him. He might die. Yeah, you better come in. In here. He might die? He's been poisoned. He was found a while ago in his car. John? I just talked to his wife. She said he'd been with you. Oh, uh, John never got here.
12: What's the matter, don't you believe me? What was he coming to see you about? I ask you something, don't you believe me? I told you John never got but here. I
10: asked you something, too.
12: He was coming over to see me, that's all. What
10: for? To borrow a book, play chess, what? You can take fingerprints, mister. I'm telling you, John wasn't here. That's going to be pretty tough to prove, Mr. Gilmore. John Dobson had plenty of time to be here, be poisoned, and leave. Be poisoned? You mean be murdered? If John Dobson dies, it'll be murder.
12: I'll tell you why he Came here? Came here? You said he didn't. All right, so I got mixed up. I I got a quirk. I get my conjugations mixed when I'm under mental stress. Well, you want to listen to me or you want to call me a liar and arrest me? Do what you want, mister.
10: Go ahead tell me your story.
12: I had a friend I wanted John to meet. Mind if I ask why? John doesn't get along with his wife. She didn't approve of his outside interests. You were going to introduce him to an outside interest? Well, this girl, this this friend of mine, is a nice kid. Same kind of personality as John. Oh? That's right. Pretty? Sure. This friend of mine was... Well, fetching's the word. Not as pretty as Edna. Not nearly as pretty as John's wife. What? I could never understand that about John. A beautiful wife like Edna, all her dough. Why he had so many outside interests. Why he should... Where do I find this friend of yours? Oh, Isabel? At the new Howard Hotel. Ask for Isabel Martin, mister. Oh, and... uh, Tell her I'm sorry. Tell her we couldn't make it tonight.
10: The New Howard Hotel, a discreet brownstone in the discreet East 60s, designed to recall the foamy days of Victorian elegance, the reproductions of antique hitching posts, standing in frozen wonder at the sleek and snarling eight-cylinder beasts flaunting their chrome, and the lobby, hung with maroon velvet... its frayed tassels swaying gently over simulated marble... and presiding over it, a frocked man... savoring a well-thumbed pocket edition of Charles Dickens. Take courage by the hand. Break through the mists of old lavender. Dare to ask him for Isabel Martin. The consequence is no more than a compassionate smile... A whispered room number... and a ride in a self-service elevator... hung with the framed messages of beauty salons and credit dentistry... The elevator finally ascends to the height of the fifth floor.
13: Hi there and hello. You're late. I heard your footsteps in the hall. I opened my door and let out a call. Hi, John.
10: Not John. I'm from the police, Miss Martin.
13: Police? Floyd said he'd send me John and he sends me you. Yeah, Floyd. Where's good old Floyd, I want to scratch his face. Let's uh, go inside, Miss Martin. That's a lovely idea. Loveliest idea of the century. Let's everybody go inside. Let's everybody have a drink. Here, take a sip of mine. I was saving it for John, baby. He won't be here. All right for him. You take a sip of mine, baby.
10: You think you can understand what I'm going to tell you, Miss Martin?
13: The things this girl understands. I'm not as gone as all that, mister. Lonesome little drinky while waiting clears the brain. So tell me.
10: John Dobson is dying. He was poisoned.
13: That's why he stood me up, huh? Because he's dying.
10: You waited for him. He never showed up, is that it?
13: That's it.
10: Uh Do you mind if I look around?
13: Love it. Love it. Note the tasteful arrangement.
10: There's another glass here on the night table. Part of a drink in it.
13: That's where it's been hiding. Come here, lonesome little drinky. I put you down and forgot all about you, didn't I? And poured myself a new one when all the time, lonesome little baby. Pardon me, dinky. Phone ringing. Hi there and hello. This was Isabel. Oh, for you, mister.
10: Danny Clover speaking. Dr.
11: Sinsky, Danny,
13: get down here. There's nothing more I can do
10: for him. Right away, doctor. Get me an empty bottle, Miss Martin. I'll want to take your forgotten drink with me.
13: Empty? I got a life full of them, miss. Take your pick.
10: Dr. Sinsky. How is he, doctor?
11: Not a chance. Mrs. Dobson, Danny. She's in there with him. At such a time, you better leave them alone.
10: Did he talk? Say anything?
11: Once. uh, For a second, Danny. opened his eyes and said his wife's name. Said Edna. Said my beautiful wife, Edna. Beautiful. Even in all her grief, I caught myself staring at her, watching her, Look. Look at her. Even in all her grief.
10: The circle of shadows was around them, around the man and his wife. The man with pale death at his cheek. The woman, luminous, her face touched with infinite sadness of infinite loveliness. The tear at her eye's edge, not falling but held there. The small glistening of despair.
3: Johnny Johnny John Doctor My dear my husband dead Johnny He's dead dead <laughs>
8: Listening to Broadway's My Beat, written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin, and starring Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. Two of our CBS radio gals are at opposite extremes intellectually. Re Wilson is empty-headed, my friend Irma, and Eve Arden is English teaching. Our Miss Brooks, but in spite of this difference, Irma Peterson and Connie Brooks have two things in common. They're both funny. And they're both yours to laugh at on most of these same CBS radio stations Sunday evenings. Enjoy them both tomorrow night.
10: The new year has doled out only so many of its night times, and Broadway has already used them, drained them of their neon, their glitter, their anguish. Broadway takes its place in line to wait for the new fallings of darkness, as it did on the fading edge of this night time, that had come like other Broadway nights. It sparked the spectaculars into winking light. It opened corridors for solitude to walk. It carried on its wind laughter and shock. And Broadway stands, dazed and still, waiting for this night, too, to end. (laughs) Where I was, the night wouldn't depart, because it must linger on the face of a woman, on its beauty, on the tear that held the grief for her dead husband, and must listen close because her weeping is gentle, distant. Mrs. Dobson. Mrs. Dobson, you Oh,
3: don't look at me. Don't dare look at
10: me. I'll take you home.
3: There's no need, I'll manage.
10: If you want to lie down or need something, the matron will
3: You have a dressing room? What? A room. Something with a mirror in it. A brightly lit mirror.
10: I suppose there's one somewhere in...
3: I shock you, Mr. Clover. I shock you because I insist on being beautiful even while Johnny lies dead. Is that something awful for a woman to want? To be beautiful for her dead husband? I don't know. You know it now, Mr. Clover. You've seen me ugly. And you've seen me like this. The lovely one is the woman Johnny knew. The woman Johnny saw when he died. There was never any other. You understand that, Mr. Clover? I think so. Good. Now leave me alone with him, will you please? I mean alone. No gratuitous sympathizers. No one to see me with tears on my face. Alone. Alone.
6: To you, Danny, a good, good morning. You slumbered well in the land of Nod, I hope. Oh, not so
10: good, Gino. I didn't get home from the hospital until late, and then when I finally got to bed... I...
6: Well, here's something that'll revive an otherwise drab day, Danny. Surprise. Electric fan? What for? Startles you, huh? The same fan you commissioned me to have repaired last July. I saved the department money. All fixed and ready to go. To wit like Miami. This is the same... The same fan by which we have called other names. Motor torn apart to the quick and revived by me, Gino Cattaglia, plus the proto-tools Mrs. T slipped into my galoshes for Christmas. Professional, huh? Feel a breeze.
10: It's January, Gino. Turn it off. Gino? <clears throat>
6: yeah. Any other puttering you'd like to have done around here? Just, just tell so... her
10: the word about the medical examiner's report.
6: Uh, Roger. Roger. John Dobson did indeed die from a poison which Dr. Sinsky did label as being of the alkaloid family. Specific poison and time taken will not be known until autopsy is performed on the vital organs. Mm, what else have you got? Uh, some background material on Mr. and Mrs. John Dobson, dug out by obediently yours and the good detective Mugovan.
10: If you please.
6: Indeed. Mr. Dobson lived by no visible means of support. Nice house. Nice clothes. No job. Prior to his exchanging marriage vows with Mrs. Dobson, he lived off handouts from friends. Uh, go on. Mr. Dobson did attach himself and married Mrs. Dobson while she was still in widow's weeds.
10: Oh? Edna
6: Dobson was married before? To a Timothy French deceased. What did Mr. French die of, Gino? Could you find that out? I did. I did. From an accident. Mr. French was a wheelchair case from his youth. Three years after his marriage to his wife, he had a misfortune, fell out of his chair down the steps. And Mrs. Dobson inherited his estate, is not it? Now, wait a minute, Danny. I'll look in these reports. Just take a second.
10: Oh, never mind, you know. Put them on my desk. (laughs) You did real fine today.
6: Just wait till July when you can enjoy that fan, Danny. The nice things you'll say about me.
10: And study the reports the sergeant leaves on your desk. Find that the widow of Timothy French had inherited $250,000, more than half of it in insurance. Find the name of the insurance broker who had handled it. Jonathan Harvey,
5: 12 Broad Street.
10: Go to him. Talk to him.
5: Let me make my puny attempt at trying to understand you, Mr. Clover. Go right ahead. I'll have to black it out on this scratch pad. Let's see. Under a general heading, we have your reinvestigation of the death of Timothy French, Edna's first husband. That's right. Then, draw a line, and underneath, your reasons for doing so. What shall we put down, Mr. Clover?
10: Mrs. Dobson's second husband died last
5: night of alkaloid poisoning. Newspapers added at great length. I read the head... Aha! I see what you're after, Mr. Clover. Thank you. Now I can fill in this side. Here, we have death of husband number one. Here, death of number two in the short space of two years. Hmm. Interesting. I'm glad you agree. However, I'm afraid that's as far as it goes, Mr. Clover. Oh, tell me why. Perhaps you don't know that my company conducted a most thorough rundown on Mr. French's death. Found it accidental. Though I'm an insurance man, Mr. Clover, I am also a friend. Huh? Friend, a confidant to all my clients. As I was to Tim French.
10: As I would be to you. You knew him well?
5: My dear young man, I nurtured his romance with Edna. How did you do that? Edna was a teller at the Ruxton Bank on Wall. One day I wheeled him along with me. Well, I made a deposit for him. And
10: that's where he met Edna Dobson, in the bank.
5: She was plain then. Thoughtless fellow could call her ugly. And Tim was a, uh, forgive the word, a cripple. Unwanted people. They meet sometimes, fall in love, and get married. Then one of them dies in a fall. There you go again, beating your head against a blank wall. It's useless, Mr. Clover. We spent thousands of dollars proving it to ourselves. Tim died accidentally.
10: So leave there and decide a thing. Mrs. Edna Dobson, ex-bank clerk, widowed twice, was a woman you wanted to talk to again. Go to her apartment house. She's not the home you're told by a maid who opened the door for you and got right down on her knees again to dust. Where is she? She's going to a funeral tomorrow, so she's gone to the beauty parlor naturally. Which one? Lawson's, naturally. So thank the maid who waved her feather duster goodbye to you and go to Lawson's. And meet another woman, dressed fashionably clinical in a white jersey uniform, who sits behind a desk and asks questions.
9: You a husband?
10: Uh, no, I'm afraid not. I, I want to see... Oh,
9: boyfriend, eh? who we got under the dryer belongs to you?
10: I want to see Mrs. Dobson.
9: What have you been doing all morning, man? Mrs. Dobson's been here since nine. Facials, hair set, contouring, refinishing... Reweaving everything on the menu and you walk in just as she walks out I don't envy you. Oh why? If you're a fellow who's going to help her through this bereavement, frankly, I don't envy you Frankly, you don't look as if you can afford it I'd get fired if mine here lost in you. I was talking like this uh, Mine here is Dutch, you know. No, I didn't but I like your face to be blunt Mostly because I like men's faces and I hate to see them be suckered.
10: I appreciate this.
9: The dough that Edna Dobson spends on lotions and contours and facials since the first day she came in here. When was that? I remember because when she stepped in here, mine here said, I accept the challenge. Her first husband's funeral was at noon. Her appointment was at four.
10: And since then, she spent a lot of money on
9: Not only with us. Take a walk down the street to Rexford's. Find out the dough she spends there on clothes to make her look Of the form divine. But believe me, save yourself the walk. I know.
10: Well, I want to thank you for all you've done for me.
9: Not that I dislike Mrs. Dobson, you understand. Just that I like to be frank. Understand what I mean?
10: Right in here, Mrs. Dobson. Oh, hello, Mrs. Dobson. Come in. Oh, sit down.
3: Sit down? Here?
10: Well, this is police headquarters,
11: Mrs. Dobson. The Taxpayers don't furnish us with upholstered furniture.
3: Oh, it's so dusty.
11: Oh, Detective Markleman. Uh-huh.
10: Uh, now you can sit down, Mrs. Dobson. Thank you. And I want to thank you for coming down here to see me.
3: <laughs> Did I have a choice?
10: Well, I didn't want to barge in on you again. I know like you like to ready yourself before you meet people.
11: Thank
3: you again. I was very considerate.
11: Uh, I was telling Mrs. Dobson out in the hall how nice
10: I thought she looked. After all, she's been through. He's right, Mrs. Dobson. You do look very lovely.
3: Thank you. Why did you ask me to come here?
10: Well, I have a few things I want to talk to you about. I see. We were surprised to hear you'd been married once before, Mrs. Dobson. What of it? I think it's important that we should know about your first husband.
3: Know what about him?
10: How he died.
3: He died four years ago. He fell down the steps in his wheelchair.
11: Did you push him?
3: I'm sure there's nothing else you want to say to me.
11: Did you push him, Mrs. Dobson?
3: For your information, the insurance adjusters asked me the same thing. If they hadn't reached the conclusion that it was an accident, would I be here?
10: Sit down, Mrs. Dobson. Close the door and sit down. This will only take a few moments. Thank you.
3: Why did your Mr. Mugovan ask me that question?
11: Well, you don't have to ask him, Mrs. Dobson. Ask me. I'll tell you why.
10: Because his death left you a rich woman.
3: Then by your reasoning, every woman who inherits money is a murderer.
10: You met your first husband while you were a teller in a bank, didn't you? How did you meet your second husband, John Dobson?
3: Shall I tell you? Shall I really tell you?
10: If you don't mind, Mrs. Dobson.
3: I was eating salted peanuts in a bar. He sent over a note and a bottle of wine.
11: Who paid for the wine?
3: What?
10: The lieutenant asked you who paid for the wine.
3: Who do you think paid for
10: it? I doubt whether Mr. Dobson did. He was pretty broke from what I could find out.
3: That's right, he was broke. What love it. I fell in love with him. Not right away, but eventually I fell in love with him.
11: Mr. Dobson was a good-looking man. I imagine a lot of women fell in love with him.
3: But I married him.
11: When did you find out
10: he was running around with other women, Mrs. Dobson? He's
3: dead. Leave him alone.
10: lieutenant asked you, Mrs. Dobson, when did you find out about his Leave him alone. Leave him alone. Did he start taking interest in other women when he barged in on you one day like I did and saw you like I did?
3: What difference does it make?
10: Here's the way we figure, Mrs. Dobson. I know
3: what you think. You think I killed my first husband and you think I killed Johnny.
10: I don't think we'll ever know about your first husband unless you want to tell us.
3: It was an accident.
10: Here's the way we
11: figure, Mrs. Dobson. Your first husband died and you came into all that money. With money, you could make yourself beautiful. Beauty salons, custom dresses, the works. The way you always wanted to be.
10: Isn't that right, Lieutenant? Then you met a handsome man, a man who believed you were beautiful, John Dobson. He married you. He had no job. He lived off you. You were satisfied with that as long as he believed you were lovely. She is lovely, Danny. I don't care what you say. Then he changed. He started to go around with other women. You couldn't tolerate that. You poisoned him you ever see a woman who could wear clothes like her?
11: No. No, I haven't. And the way she does her hair, yeah? Beautiful.
3: You think so?
11: The reporters will think so, too. The photographers, too.
10: There'll be pictures of you in
11: all the papers.
10: All your exclusive clothes. And every woman in the city will be jealous.
3: Yes, when women look at me, I can tell what they're thinking... They are jealous.
10: There'll be interviews... I understand. All the men. The women. The women crowding the courtroom to get one peek at you.
3: I killed them. I killed both of them. Will the reporters be here soon? (laughs)
10: Broadway's sleeping now, and the furious avenue of the night is still. It stretches out in front of you, without beginning, without end. The dumping ground of refuse and ashes and leftovers. The neon words are turned off. But look there, where the sidewalk meets the street. It's your name written on water. It's Broadway, the gaudiest, the most violent the lonesomest mile in the world, Broadway, my beat.
8: Broadway's My Beat stars Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover, with Charles Calvert as Tartaglia and Jack Crucian as Mugavan. The program was produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with musical score composed and conducted by Alexander Courage. In tonight's story, Idrene Tedrow was heard as Edna Dobson. Featured in the cast were Florence Lake, Gene Tatum, Bill Boucher, and Earl Ross. Tomorrow night, the gal who made good Tuesday nights, Audrey Totter, as Millie, joins the Sunday lineup on most of these same stations. Yes, from now on, you can meet Millie and all her hilarious friends, too, Sunday nights on CBS Radio. On the more serious side, tomorrow marks the debut of The People Act, CBS Radio's new series about community problems solved by American communities. You'll find the People Act, a fascinating, rewarding experience, every Sunday night on CBS Radio, starting tomorrow night. Bill Anders speaking, and remember, those lovable rascals, Amos and Andy, are here every Sunday on the CBS Radio Network.
7: That's it for
0: Case Closed for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. You can find more from Richard Diamond, Broadway Is My Beat, Case Closed, and all the other podcasts at relicradio.com, alongside thousands of other old-time radio episodes and our shoutcast stream, all available for free thanks to your support. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Thank you, as always, to those who have. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Wednesday with another episode of Case Closed.